Section 51 from the Anzac Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Lawley. What Frank Thought A private sat under a tree. It was not the lone pine, but the other one. Winter had stripped it of its foliage, and all around was bleak and uninviting. In his bronze fist, which he had carried buckets and biscuits since April 25th, he held a letter, highly perfumed, from his young lady, she whom he had escorted on so many occasions to Sydney's social events in the piping days of peace. He had not heard from home since embarkation, and had often wondered, as he bathed in just enough water to temper a whiskey, and shaved by means of a lethal instrument, better fitted for cutting a hedge than a beard, whether they really cared. A fit of hesitancy now seized him, and he hardly liked to read the letter. By means of the top of a tin of sardines which he had bought cheap, two bob he had paid for it on the beach, he saw his unshaven face, the neck of his sword shirt, and his crop of unkempt hair. He was interrupted in this by the attentions a little friend was paying him. This he located. He then lightened the end of a cigarette, which he had kept stowed away in the top of his putties, before risking another glance at himself in the top of the two-bob tin of sardines. What a guy, he murmured. If Jessie could see me now, would she turn me down for some cold-footed, well-groomed fellow? I don't think. She's all right, and would understand it's no gypsy tea we're at. However, it was with some slight nervousness that he opened the letter. Following the customary greetings, Jessie wrote, Dearie, be sure to keep your hat on at all times. Egypt, I hear... Is awfully hot about Christmas time. The doctor was telling me the other day that he could hardly sit on the veranda of Shepherd's in the middle of the day. Keep your hat on, even when at Shepherd's. The climate is so treacherous. Doc says he recommends this hotel. Shall we send letters to you there? Iced drinks and heavy meals are dangerous, Doc says. This was more than flesh and blood could stand. Am I having my leg pulled? he asked. He looked at the envelope and found it had been posted in Sydney thirteen months ago. He swore roundly at the expense of the postal people as all the rest of the letter was hopelessly out of date. He turned his attention to the next item of his very belated mail. It was another letter from Jessie. She again rambled on about Egypt, its climate horrors, and the dangers of Cairo's attractions. He bit his lip and smiled sourly when he came across a passage which related to the dancing deeds of a male acquaintance of his. Frank, as you know, has not enlisted yet, she wrote. He is not sure of a commission because chaps are called upon to pass a beastly exam. He says it's rot to ask him to sit for an examination and he would just hate 
to serve in the ranks. In his case, it would be super patriotic, he says, to do so. I don't understand what he means by this, but no doubt you will. Huey knew that the man referred to was big enough to push all the Turks off the peninsula, and Jessie provided a job's comforter when, later on, she told him that Frank only attended dances given for patriotic purposes. The next item was a parcel containing hair oil, 25 costly cigars, a cigar holder, a suit of pyjamas, and a booklet given away by a firm of tobacconists, explaining to would-be recruits that Henry Clay's would be forwarded to any part of the Australasian front free of carriage. The parcel was addressed to Gallipoli. Darling, wrote Jessie, in the letter that accompanied the parcel, keep these things in your tent. Footnote. It may be necessary to explain that every man in the Gallipoli Peninsula was within easy range of the Turkish artillery, for anything except a hospital to use a tent would have been to give an open invitation to shrapnel. The nearest shops were about three miles behind the Turkish lines. End of footnote. It must be a fag getting the oil you like so much. I suppose you have to walk some distance from the firing line to the nearest shops. No doubt the cigars will be acceptable after dinner. And, later on, the pyjamas. Don't think me forward in sending the latter, but I know fellows do wear them. I've seen them advertised in the Herald. I am sending these things for use in Turkey. I have read all about the charge you chaps made on the 25th of April, and I hope you were allowed to get well up in the front. It would just suit you. I know it is dangerous, but Frank says if it is dangerous for the men, how much more dangerous must it be for the officers? He says he will insist upon leading his men in all charges. Between you and me though, Huey, I don't think he will enlist. He has several lovely pairs of socks to hand by today's delivery from David Jones, and if they are not for the yachting that is to start next week, then I'm slow. Frank and I are going to Randwick races on Saturday, and if we see anything in your battalion colours, we will back it and buy something for you with what we collect. Frank says he is sure you would like us to do this. Please don't get shot, dear. We intend to send you lots of nice things for Christmas. Huey, a gay dog in the good old antebellum days, who occupied a cosy job and circulated his sovereigns, tramped back to his dugout through the saps, revolving wicked thoughts about Frank. Always a philosopher, he cleaned his rifle with the hair oil, cut up the pyjamas to make pull-throughs, and to newly arrived reinforcements, distributed the cigars. He and the old hands had lost any appetite they ever had for such comforts. A.J. Boyd, Australian, New Zealand, Army Corps End of Section 51 This recording is in the public domain.